When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Kelly Davis wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for part two of our 2021 off-season review with our buddy, the godfather of Jets podcasts and host, of There's Always Next Year here on Play Like a Jet, Mr. Brian Bassett. Brian, yesterday we left off with the Sam Darnold trade and how that impacted what the Jets were going to do in the NFL draft. So let's talk a little bit about the draft. Let's start with the quarterback that you probably wouldn't have taken, Zach Wilson. Mm -hmm. I know that yep. initially... You were very negative on Wilson. I believe at some point you said yeah. that drafting him at number two would be, quote, career suicide for Joe Douglas. <laughs> Did I? Wow. Wow, that was pretty strong. That was a strong take for me, but yeah. Um, it, it sounds like something I might have said if I was in one of my um, ecstatic moments. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll own it, even if I never said it. But but yeah, like it's to me, it's it's a crazy thing because there's a lot of variables still 
with Zach Wilson in terms of the level of competition he played, which can, I understand that the counterpoint to that move is yeah, but he was throwing 60 yard bombs to Dax Milne and like diming it out down the sideline, which like, okay, fair, fair. I get it. So it's like, but it was against Western Kentucky, right? Like, can we agree that it was against Western Kentucky, not against Clemson or, uh, um, you know, uh, Michigan or <laughs> some major program or whatever? Like, can we agree on that? So, so like, Zach has a lot of like NFL open versus, you know, the level of competition he was playing against open are very different. Um, and so, you know, it, it might be a bumpy first year, but in terms of, you know, his, his style, his panache, I mean, his, his ability to just throw those bombs is, is unbelievable. Um, I'm just more of a fan of like, a guy who's going to have played in a higher program. So that kind of, you know, rules Trey Lance out of it. Trey Lance owned my team. I went to James Madison and his team destroyed my team. I don't know how many times it's a heartbreaking, but, um, but uh, in North Dakota state, uh, kind of at large destroys James Madison more often than not. Um, but Justin Fields is like, I understand he fell to where he fell. Um, but like when you're playing at that level of competition, and you have that level of like, just he's, he's got that kind of dog mentality. You like Justin Fields, like you have to love that. And so like, I think, I think Zach Wilson could have a great career. And I think they put a lot of good supporting pieces around him, which will help him in that. Um, but at the same time, like I, I just, I'm sitting here wondering four years from now, are we wondering, like, are we in another Patrick Mahomes situation? <laughs> or a Lamar Jackson situation where the guy who can run a little bit more and who has a pretty, pretty solid arm to boot, like isn't a more valuable player to his team than the guy who is a kind of classic pocket passer. Um, and I know Wilson has some improvisational skills. I've seen it. Um, I mean, I've watched enough of his tape. He definitely has that improv, but like he's got to do more than throw those mesh plays. Like I, I got to see him do something other than run mesh and like, you know, throw it to the the guy dragging across the middle or the guy like, you know, in the bucket, like way down on the boundary. Like I need to see more than that. And I think he's got it. I think he's got it. I just, uh, you know, I want to see it. I want to see him do it at the NFL level. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it will be career suicide. I don't know. We'll see. What, what do you think? Brian, I'll make sure I get you some of his all 22 tape. Cause I can assure you when you look at that, you will see he did quite a bit more than just mesh concepts and throwing passes on the boundary. And in fact, in flight 2021, they mentioned how mm. one of the things that they were most impressed by was the fact that Wilson was able to make all of the throws that he's going to need to make in this LaFleur offense because the BYU offense mm. is so similar to many of the elements of that Shanahan offense that they're going to run, which is actually something that Steve Young mentioned when he talked about why the 49ers were interested in Wilson and why the Jets clearly were high on him. I think that with Wilson, it's just a matter of projection, right? I think LaFleur in flight 2021 said it best. All the pieces are there. He has a chance to be a really good quarterback, but that's all you ever know with these guys. You know that right. they have a yes. chance. So you evaluate them, and then you say, okay, I think this guy has a chance. If you don't think he has a chance, that's when you don't draft him that high. But you could make similar mm. arguments for Trey Lance 
and for Justin Fields, but you just have to make different arguments because obviously they were better at different things. And in the case of Lance, it's almost entirely projection because he was asked to do so little at North Dakota State and he had such a small number of dropbacks there too. You're just betting on his physical traits and all that. So it's a fascinating conversation. I would have taken Wilson. That doesn't mean I'm right. You could very well be correct that it ends up that Fields or Lance would have been the better pick and maybe Joe Douglas was committing career suicide by selecting Zach Wilson. I love love Joe Douglas. So like, let me be clear. Like I want it to work. I want it to work. Let me ask you this. Just thought exercise. Let's say the Jets were picking three and the Niners were picking two. Mm -hmm. Who do you think they pick? Who do you think they pick? That the Niners pick two or that the Jets pick three? Yeah. If no, no, no. If, if, yeah, if the Niners pick two, I don't care about who the Jets pick at three. I'm just more, more than anything. Like who would the Niners have picked if they, if Lawrence is off the board and they have every other quarterback available to them? Like clearly it wasn't McCorkle Jones. It was not McCorkle Jones. It was never McCorkle Jones. <laughs> but if they, if they had Wilson on the board, do they take him or do you think do they take Lance? I think they would have taken Wilson, and the main reason I think that is because of what Steve Young said. Steve Young was talking about this, and he said essentially that Mm. the 49ers wanted Wilson and that Wilson would have loved to have played there, but they realized they weren't going to be able to get him because the Jets weren't moving out of that number two spot. So he has sources both with the Jets because he knows Mm -hmm. them from their days with the 49ers, and obviously he's very ingrained with the 49ers and he also has no reason to make any of that up because all that would do is make him look bad and it would burn a bunch of relationships so because of that I'm pretty sure that Wilson would have been the number two overall pick if the 49ers were picking there but we don't know even if that's the case if that winds up being the right move Kyle Shanahan might have gotten it wrong even with Trey Lance maybe he would have been better off picking Justin Fields or never moving up in the first place and just taking Mac Jones where he was at number 12 we're gonna have to find out because as you said Brian very inexact science and all you can do is LaFleur said is see if you think these guys give you a chance and in order for any of these quarterbacks to give you a chance as you said before you alluded to this you got to surround them with talent you've got to surround them with yeah. help And one thing that we saw with the Jets draft strategy, at least early on, is that they went all in on offense and giving Zach Wilson help because in the past they've tried more measured approaches. And in Mike McCagney's case, the strategy essentially was there was no strategy. We have no idea exactly (laughs) what his game plan was. People will say he went for best player available, but I don't even think that's true. I know he did that when you're talking about he picked in the top six so he would go with Adams or Leonard Williams or Quinn Williams. But I don't even think that was his strategy after that because no one's going to convince me that Trevon Wesco was best player available on his board (laughs) in the fourth round. And you could go through a whole bunch of examples of that. He just clearly had no strategy. The Jets did here. They went and they got aggressive and they got Elijah Vera Tucker at 14, who they made clear in that documentary. They wanted because they felt that he was an elite player at a position they desperately needed. And so they made the move. And then they go and get Elijah Moore, who they made clear in the documentary. They'd have picked a 23 if they hadn't moved up Mm. to get Elijah Vera Tucker. And then in the fourth (laughs) round, they get Michael Carter, who they made clear in the documentary that they would have taken in the third round if they hadn't traded both their third round picks to go up and get Elijah Vera Tucker. So Mm -hmm. the funny thing about this, Brian, and obviously we're not going to know for a while whether or not they made the right move in trading up for Vera Tucker. That remains to be seen. I like the move on the surface, though, is that they ended up getting 
a lot of players that they wanted even with that trade-up. So here's my question based around all of this. We talked about Zach Wilson. We know what you think of that. What'd you think of the trade-up for Vera Tucker? What'd you think of the selection of Vera Tucker? What'd you think of the strategy overall offensively going all in? And then what do you think of the picks of Elijah Moore and Michael Carter? Did you like everything Mm. in its totality there? Yeah. Great, great questions. Uh, And I love, I love the setup there. Like, cause I think it, it, just shows this dichotomy between as you said like it's not an exact science you can't know how things are going to fall you can't always you know plan for every eventuality but typically it's been proven mathematically it's bad to trade up and you know take other picks to do it so that you like so that you you know you you get a certain player a player you're targeting or whatever um generally mathematically it's bad because it's it's just simple right it's just a numbers game if you have more picks or you stay where you are players that you think like might fall to you or if you're not bundling later picks like those you know third fourth rounders whatever those players could be very surprising and you know become become pro bowlers or or whatever right so so understanding mathematically it's always better to stay or to trade down okay math I, i i i get it like math cool cool math cool at the same time, I love the Elijah Vera Tucker move because I think it's it's so instrumental. Like I wanted them to come out of the first round to come away after the 23rd pick or, you know, if they had moved back or whatever with a strong interior lineman. And whether I wanted it to be Rashawn Slater. Now that obviously <laughs> happened way before, um, you know, he would have been available to us and, um, and they ended up getting Vera Tucker, who I think is great. I think he's a phenomenal player. I mean, I'm sure you saw the video of when, when um, Joe and Robert called him and they said to him this, I love this phrase, which was, we were not going to pass on you again, which is an indication of the fact that like, I get that Zach Wilson was their guy at two, but they had a pick. They could have picked an AV, AVT at two, but they thought as highly of him that they would say that. I understand it's a, a nice thing to say, but like they valued him that highly that he's a top 10 player. Um, and so the fact that they got him, they feel like they got value. Yes. Could they have gotten other things in those successive rounds where they moved up, but no, that yes, they could have gotten those things, but no, now they have a strong, you know, locked in left side of their offensive line for the next five, six, eight, ten years, whatever it's going to be. And you're going to have two, you know, world beaters at that position. And so you can just pencil that in. And then when they're up for contracts, you just pay them whatever they're worth and you don't, you know, run it out and, you know, make a big, you know, story about it. You just pay those guys because they're awesome. And then everything else falls into place. Like the other thing about the AVT thing is it pushes, right? It, it makes everybody else go into their proper places where they should be on the line, right? So now instead of having three mediocre players competing for three or four, let's say four mediocre players competing for three internal starting spots, now you really have, you know, three mediocre or four mediocre players um, contending only for two spots, right? Because it's like center and right guard maybe. 
Um, and you know, you figure Fant's going to play the right tackle position, but like the more competition and the more pressure you create, it just means you pushes up your best guys to the top. Right. And then your, your backups are backups and you know, you know what, like they, they, they kind of got it done last year under Adam Gase. We can, we can use them like as necessary. So I love what it does in terms of locking in the line and specific players. And he's super athletic, which is what this line needs. So I love that. And and you've got a young quarterback who's going to need more time in the pocket um, and need protection and need to not get clobbered, um, you know, coming off his blind side. So, so I love the fact that they got those two guys. Um, you know, they could be the like brick and nick of you know of our team for the next you know many many years. So that's exciting, um, right? And then you talk about Elijah Moore, like first round talent, a- absolutely first round talent player. I think the fact that Gettleman moved back <laughs> to Kadarius Tony where he did, like that was a total mistake. Like, why do you just not take? someone like Elijah Moore at that, I guess, 20th pick or whatever he had Um, like that, that was, that was ridiculous. So like, and that's just Gettleman being Gettleman, which is great. Uh, But, but like, he's super talented. He played on a team. Do I have to say who he played on a team with? He played on a team with AJ Brown. And I think DJ uh, DK Metcalf was a little injured in that, in that time. But like, he played with those guys like he like in college. That's who he was competing for targets against two of the best receivers in the NFL today. And over the next, you know, three to five years, like, and, and I'm sure we've all seen the AJ Brown video of him getting super emotional and saying like, you are always better than me. Like, so like AJ Brown, probably best young receiver in the league, you know, saying to Elijah Moore, like you're better than me. Like that is impressive. So now you've got this guy on the roster. So you've got like, let's just remind, remind everybody. We've got Denzel Mims who could be a prototypical X. He's got some work to do for sure. Um, You've got Corey Davis, who was like a one a, I don't think he'll ever be a one, but I think he's, he's definitely could be a one a you've got Jameson Crowder. Who's, you know, going to be competing for roster spot, not roster spot for, uh, for targets. Um, And now you've got Elijah Moore, who's like a Tyler Lockett clone and who can just burn on the other side as the flanker for this team. So, you know, are they veterans in the league at this point? No, but you have the sort of talent, you have the sort of like, you know, deep speed talent, great hands, um, ability to move the ball, like, and then guys who were uh, precocious in college, which is one of the most effective ways of figuring out, Hey, is this person going to be, um, be like a success in the NFL. It's like, when did they break out in college and how dominant were they in college? And if you can tell me those two things, then I'll tell you why they're going to be productive in, in the pros or they played on teams with tons of talent, like, like Jarvis Landry, right? Like was effective, um, played with Odell Beckham Jr. um, Is not the greatest athlete, but just was dominant like at at the college position. Um, So now, so you've got this team of guys that are just, dominant players at college that are young and hopefully can grow together. So like very exciting. And, you know, think about what back to our, our buddy uh, Zach Wilson and Dax Milne, like think about what, what Zach Wilson was doing with Dax Milne, you know, 40 yards down the field. Now think about what he can do with Elijah Moore, 60 yards down the field. Unbelievable. Right. And then, right. And then, so you talk about Michael Carter, who's the next guy down the, down the queue. Um, he is that prototypical, 
Um, I mean, I was surprised Kenny, Kenny Gainwell wasn't the pick in the moment um, because I thought he would be a little bit more all purpose, but, uh, but he, he slipped. Um, but, but Carter fascinatingly effective player in college playing with another guy who got more of the spotlight. And obviously he, he goes to Denver to be their, their bell cow back. Um, but Carter might be the better player of the two. Like we'll see. Um, and he is, what I would say is he's definitely a fit for this system. He's not that 220 pound grinder. He's the guy who can kind of catch the ball out of the backfield, a little more Gio Bernard kind of style player where he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can light it up down the, down the sidelines, um, you know, one cut player. So all the pieces that this offense needs, they now have, now they're very young, um, but they have the pieces and then, right. It's like, do we upgrade over the pieces that we have? Those are the decisions that this team's going to be making over the next three years, which is, I mean, as a fan, like what else do you want <laughs> with a new head coach, right? It's not degrading. It will be improving is what I'm trying to say. Got to fact yeah. check you real what? quickly, Brian, by oh. the way, when you were talking about Elijah Vera Tucker, it was actually Elijah Moore that he was saying that to Joe Douglas about we weren't going to pass you again. He was talking. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. Oh, man. See, I need to spend more time on Twitter. I think no, I, uh, you don't. I kind you of definitely had, don't need I, to spend I, more time on Twitter. Trust me. <laughs> Well, that's kind of my thought is I think the less time that I spend on Twitter, the better. But yeah, I can't believe that I talked for that long that you had to like basically write that down and hold that like <laughs> in your holster for 10 minutes. So I apologize to you and your audience, no. um, but but it's exciting. Like it's exciting. And then I think like, you know, it kind of like as soon as we hit that cliff there uh, in the draft, it flipped over to all defensive players. And I think there's some really interesting and compelling players um, that they got in there um, at the, you know, kind of the end of at the end of the draft. But I think that to me was Robert Sala saying, I can be patient with my defense. I, the guys are going to know what I expect out of my defense. They're going to, I mean, he said it in, in, um, in flight 2021, like whoever I have, like is going to be who I have and my expectations of them won't change based on whatever their level of talent is or isn't like, this is going to be the scheme. This is going to be what's required of them and either they'll play or they won't. And so like he, he basically said like offense, I, I want to be a team player here. I want to set you up well, um, you know, to kind of get that side of the ball moving, not that they'll never invest in it again. Right. Like hopefully we don't go on a Rex Ryan defensive lineman, you know, Coke Jag or whatever. But, um, but at the same time, like, on um, like defensively, he, he knows he can be patient. He knows what his scheme is. He knows what he's got on in the front of the, in the front, like the front seven. Um, and he's basically willing to say, you know what? Some of these guys are gonna, are gonna show up and some of them aren't. And the guys that show up will be here in 2022. And the guys who don't, they might not be here. Right. And that's okay because we're going to be drafting first, second, third rounders, you know, who are going to take some of their jobs and that's fine. I love it. <laughs> I'm here for it. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. A lot of competition, certainly something that's very different from years past where we were just hoping somebody would emerge and save the Jets from their own misery. Speaking of people that have returned to mm. hopefully help the Jets return from their own misery, Woody Johnson is back. Any particular mm. thoughts on that? What do I think? I think... He is as, as insane as this sounds like he's a steadying influence on this team. Um, I think he has a commitment to winning. 
Um, I think he has experience. He's done this, you know, since when the nineties, right. So, um, or 2000. So, so like he, he has, he has experience. Um, and I think it's valuable. Uh, and I hope he has enough wisdom and experience now that he will stay out of things, right. That he will let Joe Douglas do the things that he needs to do. And he, and again, like we keep referring to the, the uh, flight 2021, but he talks about um, when they have like a, uh, you know, a confessional session or whatever with him, whatever you call it, like a, an interview with him, he talks about how Joe has been around a lot of successful organizations, a lot of successful general managers, and he's put a team in place and like, he knows what it takes. And right. When you look at the organization and you know, whatever you think of Phil Savage, like he's in the building, like Phil Savage is one of the most connected people in football, right? Ran the senior bowl for six years or whatever. Um, so, so it's, he's a valuable person to have, um, who can, who can speak to the GM who has connections all over college sports. And, you know, in, you know, Joe has all you know connections himself too, I'm sure. But like, but he is, you know, he'll, I, I think Savage could be one of these Gil Brandt type people, you know, over the next 20 years of his career or whatever, like he's kind of got that that thing about him. So ultimately Phil is Phil Savage isn't making the calls, but he's in the building. Right. And, and there's plenty of play uh, people in the organization that are very senior, um, have lots of relationships um, and they're all feeding into, to Joe. But one of the best things that I really loved about that, that first, I've only seen the first episode so far at this point was what, did you hear what he did with the, um, with the quarterback stuff? Yeah. He basically said, go sequester yourselves scout these players, bring me back your rankings, and then we'll have a conversation. But do not, like this is the cardinal sin, do not talk to each other because that's how people get biased or, you know, you have some kind of, uh, you know, whatever, um, consent. it becomes a consensus game. Like he's like, I want your fresh eyes and your fresh takes on who these players are. And then we can all come together once you've graded them and you've locked in who you think this player is, then we can talk, but don't talk before that. Love that. Like that is an antithetical to how mo most scouting organizations work. Good God. Just look at what Daniel Jeremiah is doing this year. Like that dude like he is stumbling around in the dark because he he can't get consensus on anybody because nobody's getting consensus because nobody was able to get in the buildings because nobody was able to go to the games. And so I love Daniel Jeremiah in the past, but this year his analysis was awful. So how did I get here We're talking about Woody Johnson? Just saying, ultimately, I think, I think my point is that that Joe Douglas is in charge of the football operations of this team and Woody has meddled in the past, but I hope his four years in London has mellowed him out and he's coming back into an organization where he hasn't been able to meddle, you know, at least directly, um, at, you know, maybe his brother was meddling on his behalf or whatever, but he wasn't able to, to meddle directly. So there's been time for Joe to build his culture, to build kind of what he expects of his staff and for them to make the decisions that they need to. And I know Woody Johnson wants to win. 
it's one of his most, you know, ardent goals um, in, in his life. Uh, but the way that he's going to win is by letting this guy operate because all, all that I've seen so far is he's setting himself up foundationally for long-term success and not chasing every butterfly and bringing in Tim Tebow or whatever the thing that seems cool and fun and interesting in this moment in time. And that's plagued Johnson in the past. Um, hopefully he comes uh, more mellowed home from, from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, last question for you. Based on the moves that they've made and everything that we've talked about, what are your reasonable expectations for the team mm. this year? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I looked, I think the over under, we talked about this on um, uh, Travis and, and Josh and I talked about this. I think the over under on the Jets, oh, don't make me Google it. I want to say it's like six games. Uh, let me look. Because uh, remember, now there's another game this year. Okay, their over-under is currently six and a half. So now remember, there's an extra game this year. So that that like the over-unders feel weirder this year. So it, like in a in last year, last year it might have been six or five and a half or something, but it's currently at six and a half. It's really hard for me to find six to eight games where I'm where I can just like lock it in. That's a win. Um, there's definitely some of those games on their schedule, um, but they have a tough schedule. The AFC East is stronger, uh, more, more, uh, you know, kind of more distributed than it's ever been before. I don't know if it's stronger, but it's certainly more balanced than it's ever been. So, you know, you might get a couple wins there or you might, you might go, you know, zero and six in the division. Like, I don't think that's the case, but the bills are certainly good. You know, they've obviously got a contending team, you can't really ever count Bill Belichick and the Patriots out um, just because of who they are. Tua and Miami is moving, I think, in the right direction. So it's going to be a tough division. And then you look at the other divisions, you know, that they're that they're playing this year. Like, they don't have an easy schedule. So, like, uh, I mean, I'd love it if they won 10, 11, 12 games. But, like, they're going to have to get really hot and beat some teams that were – you know, massively better than them, you know, a year ago um, to do that. You know, I mean, they, they won two games last year, so I don't have the highest expectations, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like six to seven games is probably fair, um, but right. I mean, just depending, you know, new coaches can catch fire with their teams, right? We saw it with Mangini. We saw it with Rex Ryan. Uh, I think we even saw a Todd Bowles in his first year, right? Was that his first year? 20, the, the year they went to the, or no, maybe it was a, they didn't uh, go to the playoffs, but they won 10 games his first year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was my thought. It's like, I feel like they didn't go to the playoffs. Yeah. So they won 10 games that year. Um, so like that can happen with coach new coaches and maybe that's worth a couple games. So, you know, maybe just on that alone, two or three games that could push them to 10 wins. But I mean, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, the six to seven game, like that, that would feel like progress. And I could, you know, hold my chin up and be like, okay, yeah, they're moving in the right direction. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if they're ready for deep playoff runs just yet. And, you know, part of it's, I mean, it's just going to come back to this offense, you know, how effective is LaFleur, LaFleur in running this offense on his own? Um, you know, is it, uh, does he understand the skills of his players and his, and his, and his talent and, and who he has and who he's up against. That's going to be one thing. And then can a quarterback 
uh, you know, come in and, you know, can he do the things he needs to do to win games and prevent turnovers? Like if for, for rookie quarterbacks, it's always about limiting turnovers. Um, I don't really care about the turnovers. I just like, can he, can he, if, if they're down five points with three minutes left in the game, can he drive and, and get seven or eight points? Like, that's what I care about. I don't really care about the turnovers as much. I mean, of course, less turnovers is better, but, but I really more care about like, who is this quarterback in the final minutes of a game when you're down one score? Cause we haven't seen that, that kind of quarterback that we need in, in a while. Well, hopefully the guy that you said it would be career suicide to draft is the quarterback and finally brings that to wow. the Jets. I'm really locked in on that. You've really locked me in on that. Wow, Scott. Okay. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go listen to the tape. I'm going to go listen to the tape, <laughs> but I trust you. I trust you because you got the Elijah Moore, the AVT thing. So I, I'm going to trust you that you know better than me what I've said. Brian Bassett, the godfather of Jets podcasting and, of course, the host of There's Always Next Year here on Play Like a Jet with Travis Milton and Josh Conrad. As always, sir, a pleasure. Glad you could make some time to talk about the Jets with me. I know you've been doing some stuff on Substack. I know that you haven't done any of them lately, but you have a couple of really good long reads there. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how they can subscribe to your Substack. And obviously you, Travis, will be back with regular podcasts soon. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So uh, if folks want to read very old articles that I've written on Substack, you can go to mock, M-A-C-H, like mock speed, um, mock.substack.com. I wrote some things as the Jets were going through free agency. And uh, I also became a director of like a startup accelerator this spring. And Scott, I think I bit off more than I could chew this spring. So the good news is I think I'll have some more free time. I think we're gonna. it's like a volunteer thing that I've been doing, and it's awesome, and I love it. But I'm going to need to start stepping away from that a little bit. So hopefully a little bit more Jets content, a little more regular Jets content there. But always, you can always find me on the There's Always Next Year podcast talking about the Jets and ham and whiskey and things like, and the Golden Girls with with Travis and Josh, for sure. Brian, I guess there's only one thing left to say. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Love it. Appreciate you coming on, sir. Make sure that you're following Brian on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. Check out his old articles on Substack. And if you read them, it might inspire him to write a new one. You never know. And of course, make sure you listen to Brian, Travis and Josh on There's Always Next Year. And if you haven't given us a five star review on iTunes for the podcast yet, if you can go ahead and do that, really appreciate it. That includes brian josh and travis easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'll be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcasts and content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.